Amen. As you see, you can turn to Luke chapter uh, 10. Luke chapter 10. And we will begin in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Father, we are grateful for the reality that we can sit and stand and speak words in this room and know that because of Jesus, these words reach the ears of our Father in Heaven. This mysterious, miraculous part of our relationship called prayer. So through Your Word, by Your Spirit, teach us today where we need to change and grow and become more vibrant and passionate and consistent in our prayer lives. Let it be rooted in our relationship with you and not our desire to perform or impress. Do this work, this good work that we need, Father, for the glory of Christ alone, we pray in his name. Amen. So we begin each year in January focusing first on our relationship with God through his word and then our relationship with God through prayer. And then we move on to racial reconciliation and sanctity of human life. And as we transition into a new year in a new building, we are wanting to return to these familiar topics to focus on change that really matters. How do we need to change and grow and become more vibrant in these four areas of our life? Prayer is one of those areas that is unique for a believer because almost every single believer would admit to praying in some form or fashion probably most every day. 
We may skip days or weeks or longer reading the Word or engaging with God in His Word, but almost every believer would say, in some fashion, I pray every day. But at the same time, almost every single believer would say, man, I want to get better at prayer. My prayer life is not what I want it to be. I want it to be more. I'd be blown away if you ever came across a believer who said, my prayer life's good. I can't get any better. It's as good as it's going to get. Uh, it'd be shocking for a mature believer to say that. It's also easy to create a guilt trip among believers when we talk about prayer. And why don't we pray like deep down we really wish we did or could, especially when we read about Christians in the history of the church with these early morning times of prayer, you know, waking up at four and praying to seven. Or the George Mueller's of our, our, our family of faith over the years who run orphanages and never solicit support. They just sit down with the kids in the orphanage and pray for God to provide and knocks on the door come and food shows up. You know, like why? We're so lacking in faith. Why can't we trust our Father to provide like that? And so it's easy to have these guilt trips about how much we stink at something like prayer. But we're not here to put the guilt trip upon the guilty. We are here to proclaim hope and good news. And the good news is, wherever you are right now, however you're engaging with the Lord in prayer or not engaging with the Lord in prayer, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change. We can change. Where you are is not always where you have to be. And probably nothing is easier to change in our lives, our spiritual disciplines, than the habit of prayer. Because you don't have to go to class, read a book, or have any special tools. You just start talking and start listening to the Lord. And you can do practical things, you know, planning out structured times of prayer, have a little journal, make a list, write how God answers prayer, share that with others, pray in groups of people, hold each other accountable. Those are practical things you can do, but you don't, you don't have to, to jump through a bunch of hoops, hoops to begin this vibrant, passionate prayer life. But also nothing is harder to change in our lives than our habits of prayer. Because prayer, just the very act of praying, is this confession of humility and dependence on the Lord. So everything in our flesh and everything about our enemy will fight us to have vibrant prayer lives. And we will find obstacles abounding to having vibrant prayer lives. So in this passage, we see some instruction of Jesus on prayer that comes after this encounter between two women and this, this passage is helpful to, to us because it helps us see the heart attitude that drives a vibrant prayer life. And so our prayer this morning is for the Spirit to make it clear to us how we can grow and change in our relationship with Him regarding prayer. Mary and Martha, two of the most faithful followers of Jesus, sisters, also they were sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus was raised from the dead in John 11. They show up over and over through the Gospels, but here we get insight into their personalities Martha is slaving away in the kitchen, serving Jesus by serving him food. Mary was sitting by Jesus doing nothing, in Martha's opinion. Wasting time, just listening to Jesus teach again. My goodness, haven't you heard enough sermons? Can't you get that later on podcast? We've got work to do, woman. And so she comes to Jesus looking for him to rebuke her sister and tell her to get back in the kitchen and get to work. But instead, she gets this gentle rebuke. Martha, Martha. It's rebuke from Jesus. Now, it must be noted that the cultural expectation for a woman in that time was to be in the kitchen. And so this is another example of Jesus elevating the status of women above how they were viewed in their culture, as he often did with the marginalized and the oppressed. 
How the world sees and views and lessens the importance of people based on gender, socioeconomic status, education, or ethnicity is not how it is with Jesus. And we should be constantly asking ourselves, are we walking in line with Jesus or the world in how we view and treat the marginalized and the oppressed? Those who are different than us, those in the minority, those who don't have the opportunities or the status of those who are favored are in the majority. In other words, are we operating as a church where the poor, women, ethnic minorities, less educated, have just as much access to Jesus and opportunities to serve and lead as those who are not poor, men, white, and educated? But that's another sermon for another day. Jesus values these women and honors Mary's choice to sit at his feet and be taught, which was scandalous for a Jewish rabbi to do. And he points out to Martha that Mary has chosen the good thing. Why? Why is this a good thing? Because she has chosen Jesus. You see, Martha accused Mary of not serving Jesus. She's left me to serve alone, she says. I'm the only one serving you. But Jesus points out that Mary is, in fact, the only one truly serving him. Because her service to him flowed out of her desire for him. That she saw him as beautiful and she wanted to enjoy him. While Martha was just wanting to get the stuff done that needed to get done. Now this is not an opportunity to try and paint some kind of dichotomy between working in the kitchen versus sitting in Jesus' feet. We really do both in different parts of our life. There are times for both. But both have to be centered in and flowing from our relationship with Jesus. And in that moment, Martha missed it. She was serving Jesus to get things done and being busy. Mary was serving Jesus out of her relationship and desire to be with him. Right here, Jesus didn't want a fancy dinner. He wanted the hearts and the attention of his disciples. This even spills over into this topic of prayer. Martha made a request of Jesus to do something. We call that prayer. Jesus, I want you to tell her to get to work. Mary just wanted Jesus. And so Jesus said no to her prayer request. And so in a way, we can evaluate our prayer lives. In what way are our prayer lives more like Martha or more like Mary? If you're too busy to pray, busy getting things done, even good things, Christian things, things for the Lord, but you never stop just for him. Or when you do pray, it's just this list of stuff you have to do or or things that he needs to do to help you get your things done. But your prayer life is so task-driven that it's really more about you advancing your kingdom and your plans than it is about you submitting to his kingdom and his plans. Here's what I got to do, God. Come help me. Rather than, what are you doing, Father? How can I join you in your work? There's nothing wrong with asking. There's nothing wrong with burying our souls and asking anything of the Lord. We're a child. He's a father. We're vulnerable. He knows what we're thinking and feeling, and that's fine. The passage, in fact, will go on to say this persistence in asking. You never stop asking. But does it flow from your relationship with him? Or does, it, or does your asking flow from the uncertainty of your relationship with him? Is your prayer life with God more like a father and a child or more like a boss and an employee? A boss and an employee is a contractual relationship. No matter how good that job is, at some point in time, it's going to end. You're going to mess up and they're going to have to fire you. Are you going to find a better opportunity or retirement, which is a better opportunity, 
and you're writing your two-week notice. It's going to end. Father and child relationship is not contractual. You see, this focus on relationship is all through this next section on prayer. Remember, in the original scriptures, there's no chapter breaks or verses. Those were added later to reference the scriptures. And so continuing on into chapter 11, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And Jesus gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is not a prayer that Jesus ever prayed because Jesus never had to ask forgiveness for sins. More accurately, it's the disciples' prayer. But he begins it by focusing on this relationship by calling God Father, which is also scandalous in first century Jewish life. The first century Jew, God was not someone you address in such intimate terms as father and dad. He was the burning bush that you approach with reverent worship and fear. Mount Sinai shaking and and quaking before the people of God. Which is also accurate, so you don't get rid of that view of God. That's an accurate view of God. But Jesus brings in this intimate, fatherly, child relationship and view of God. And so it was Jesus, the God-man, who paints this picture of God as dad. Father, my prayer this morning for us is that we get this deeper and deeper into our life in such transforming ways that we genuinely see ourselves as a child of a dad who loves to take care of his kids. Because that's who our father in heaven is. A dad that not only allows his kids to come in the middle of the night to ask him for anything, but a dad who welcomes us. Please come to me. That's the point of the illustration in verses 5 through 13. Jesus does this several times in the Gospels. He uses a real life example to say, if this is true, how much more is the greater reality true of your father in heaven? It's a it's a point he's making through contrast. Hospitality was and is huge in Eastern cultures. There were expectations that travelers had when passing through a town that they would be welcomed into homes and be treated with great grace and kindness as a part of this culture of hospitality. And so a guy has a friend traveling through, arrives at midnight, he's out of bread. You say, well, that's just poor planning. We know we have people coming over, we run into the store and buy more food. But in a culture where you're literally living hand to mouth, day by day, waiting for your daily bread, depending on God for all of that, there's no forms of communication to alert your friends that I'm coming to town, I'm arriving on this time, on this day. There's no way to plan for this. You're sleeping, there's a knock on the door, and there's Joe. He's passing through, needs a place to stay, and needs some food. So you go next door to your friend at midnight. Help me out, man. I, got, I need bread for my friend. And we might think midnight, I've only been in bed for a few minutes. No big deal. But in a culture with no electricity, they've been asleep for hours. And that deep, good, REM, crazy dream cycle of sleep. And so it's startling. Not to mention common houses in that day were essentially one room where the entire family would sleep together. Hence the father saying, my children are in bed with me. They're all in the same bed. So it's not just dad and mom waking up, but it's the kids. And we all know that kids who wake up at night are one of the primary tools of our sanctification. So it's genuinely aggravating. A knock on the door at midnight is like a phone ringing after 11. Like nobody calls you after 11, just, hey, what's up? What you been up to? Your phone rings after 11, somebody knocks on your door at midnight, there's a problem. And you're dread to answer the phone or open the door, because what is the problem how bad is it? Who, who's died? Who's sick? Who's hurt? What do I need to do? But he opens the door. Why? Because he knows the person on the other side and this deep friendship that he has with his friend. Not according to Jesus. That's not enough. He opens the door because he won't quit knocking. He's aggravating him. Fine. Take the bread. Go back home. Leave me alone. You've done disturb the entire family and now you're disturbing the neighbors. 
So if a neighbor is willing to do that for another neighbor, a friend who aggravates them at midnight, how much more will our Father in heaven treat us as his children who come to him? Graciously, generously, asking, seeking, knocking. It's not that God is like the friend who begrudgingly finally helps out. God is not like that. He is the opposite of that. You see a similar story in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they always ought always to pray and not lose heart. So we never stop asking, seeking, and knocking. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. If an unrighteous judge will eventually relent to a persistent widow, how much more will your father in heaven respond to his kids? More contrast by Jesus in Luke 11. No earthly father, if asked by his kid for a fish, will give him a snake. And no earthly father, if, asked for, uh, if a kid asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If earthly fathers have at least that much goodness in them because of the love they have for their kids, uh, because of God's common grace, even though every single earthly father is sinful and broken, as Jesus points out, there is at least enough love in their kids to give them what they ask for in terms of food. How much more will your Father in heaven give exactly what we need to those who ask him and come to him? God is saying, come after me, pester me, bother me. Don't stop asking, seeking, or knocking. And it says in this passage in verse um, 13, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Well, what does that mean? Like, don't we have the Holy Spirit already as kids of our Father in heaven? And yes, this is the doctrine of the indwelling Holy Spirit that as a child of God, you at conversion, the Holy Spirit moves in and makes you a new person. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. He resurrects us spiritually, takes you from being an enemy of God to being a child of God, takes you from being at enmity with and at war with God, at being peace with God. And we are kept and preserved and saved forever because the Holy Spirit moves in. It's the only way it happens. It's only the presence of the Spirit of God that can make those realities true in us. And the Holy Spirit is a person, so you can't get more of a person. He's either there or he's not there. So what does it mean to get more of or get the Holy Spirit to those who ask? What he's saying is he will provide more awareness of our relationship with our Father and how he's always acting toward us as a good father. Like all through the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring to mind things that I've told you. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will come alongside of us and help us and point us back to our relationship with our Father and point us back to the things that Jesus did and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment and do this work that only the Holy Spirit can do. And when our Father gives us the Holy Spirit, what he's doing is he's giving us himself. We already have him, but we become more aware of him. Our eyes become open. Our ears become more intense and sensitive to his voice. Our, our heart beats faster because we, we know he's there. It's like in the passage in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 6, when the prophet of God, Elijah, was giving military intelligence to the king of Israel in his war with 
with Israel. It was, it was, uh, Israel was being so successful against the plans of Syria that the Syrian king thought he had a mole. Somebody in my government is obviously telling my plans to the king of Israel because of how in the world could they be this successful? There's a spy. There's a double agent in the midst. And all of his people, they don't want to die. They said, it's not us. It's that prophet Elijah. He's the one spilling the beans. And so the Syrian king takes his horses and chariots, a great army, the Bible says, and surrounds the city where Elijah is staying in Dothan. And early the next morning, Elijah's servant comes out to do some early morning chores. And it's kind of that famous movie scene when they walk out of the, the cabin or they walk out of the house and there's this armed presence in front of you. You, just, you drop everything, you turn around and run back inside. Oh my gosh, we're going to die. And he runs to Elijah and says in 2 Kings 6, 15 and 16, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What's going on here? And Elijah responds, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with him. You know, the servant's kind of looking around like, it's just us. We have no army. And Elijah senses this confusion. He says in 1 Kings six seventeen, he prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prayed again for the Syrian army to be struck with blindness and they were and they were led back to Samaria by the prophet to the capital city where they were handed over this blind army to the king of Israel and his only weapon in all of this was prayer. His only weapon in all of this was prayer. The Lord gave him ability to have faith, to see beyond the physical, to see the greater realities that are always present in the spiritual realm. Paul says the same thing. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against spiritualities and powers and heavenly places and princes of powers of air, these spiritual beings. This reality is always present in our life. We just don't always see it. We're not always aware of it. Paul prayed in the first chapter of Ephesians that the Lord would would help the believers in Ephesus to become more aware of who they are. Not to become something they're not. They already are these things, holy, blameless saints of God. But I'm praying that their eyes would be open, the, hearts, the eyes of their heart, the heart of faith, would be open to see who they are. And there's that need for all of us. These great spiritual realities have already happened in us because of Jesus Christ. Coming to our Father, sitting at His feet, Focusing on who we are in him just makes us more aware and more in tune and more embracing and more enjoying and more filled with confidence and faith and hope and less filled with anxiety and worry and fear because we have a better understanding and grasp of who we are. And so praying to the Father and asking uh, for, for asking, seeking, knocking, and Him giving us the Holy Spirit is Him giving more awareness of the provision that He's already given us in Himself. In the parallel passage, Matthew seven eleven, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What is the greatest good thing God can give us? Himself. He is the greatest entity in the universe. There's nothing greater than him. The best gift he can give us is himself, which is why Luke says the Holy Spirit. He gives us more of himself, more awareness of of the reality that he's already there with us. And he gives us what we need even beyond that. Even sometimes when we ask, because as we we as we as we operate out of this relationship with him, as we spend more time in prayer, sitting at his feet, as more and more our hearts and minds delight in him, what we find is that we more and more ask things 
that are in line with His will and character and nature. How much more will our Father give to us who are His kids and who come and ask? And the greatest gift He gives us is Himself. But we have not because we ask not. And our Father invites us as His kids to come. Ask, seek, knock, bother, pester, beat down my door. How much more will He give Himself to us? So see the access that we have through Christ. Like all throughout the Gospels, Jesus taught us and modeled this fatherly orientation of our prayers. This prayer life that flows from our relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus is always praying and speaking of God as his Father. There's only one instance in the Gospels when Jesus did not pray to God as Father. When he called out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that instance, for the first time in eternity, there is a separation between the Father and the Son. As the Son is absorbing the full wrath of God for the sins of humanity, the Father has to turn his back and forsake his Son. It's the only time that relationship was broken. So that we would never have him do that to us. So that we would always have access to him so that we would have the, the presence of the Father, the joy of the Father, the light of the Father always inviting us in to be with him. Jesus made this access possible through his sacrifice, through his sufferings, so that we would never be cut off, so that all of our days we could call him Father and never just God. And so as we sit at the feet of Jesus, like Mary, see that we have access to God that is always and forever because of Christ, because he was cut off, because he went outside the camp to suffer for the sins of humanity. You see, sometimes we struggle to pray because we have failed and we don't have faith or confidence that our access is secure. Like the line has been broken and we've got to go out there and repair the line with our good works our penance, our repentance. We've got to pay some kind of price to fix the connection between us and God. And so we struggle to pray because we don't feel like we can come to Him. But understand that because of Jesus, not because of our performance, but because of His performance, we always have access to our Father. We can always come to Him. He, He doesn't say, get cleaned up and then come to me. Come to me to be cleaned up. Come to me for a fresh washing of the water of the word and a fresh cleansing of the presence of God in your life. Come to him for the good news of Jesus, to hear it again. We are his and he is ours. Citizens and saints, they have a song called Doubting Doubts. And part of that song says this, I keep searching for the answers to my doubts. It's like I'm caught between belief and wanting out. But there's this promise that my soul just cannot shake. That I am loved despite the struggles of my faith. That I'm his kid no matter what. I'm feeling that I am loved no matter what. That is how our Father always feels about us. We always have access because of Jesus. And no one can take it away. That 1 a.m. wake up call. We're always welcomed. I would occasionally have nightmares as a kid. And my nightmares were always uh, animals attacking. 
Jaws just messed me up. I saw it way too young. Didn't know it was mechanical. It's kind of silly now if you go back and watch it, but I thought it was real. It took me a while to swim in a pool without losing, you know, my breath because I thought a shark would come out of the drain. But sometimes I'd wake up and there'd be a shark attacking me in my nightmare or, or a bear or snake or whatever. And uh, I would always go to my parents' room and I would always go to my father's side of the bed. I, I don't know why. I don't remember. Maybe he was just closest to the door. I don't want to stumble around in the room. And I'd just tap on him, Dad, I'm having a nightmare. And he always invite me to lay down next to him in the bed. His arm was always sticking out on the side. And I'd lay there for a little while. Maybe I would sleep. Maybe I wouldn't sleep. And at some point in time, he'd tap on me. It's time to go back to bed. You're 17. You're too old. You're too old to keep doing this. But that was all I needed. A few minutes with my father. And I would be fine. Now, my dad has been a pastor for 50 years now. I don't think he's afforded those privileges to any of his church members. Like, that would be weird. They can call him in the middle of the night, he'll go to the hospital, but there's no snuggle time. But me and my sisters, we had that access because he was dad. And I think about it. No matter how important, famous, powerful a person becomes, no matter how hard it is to get access to someone because of their importance, their fathers all have their direct cell numbers. And can probably call or text them and get them at any time because they're dad. And it's the same for mom and child as well. Unless dad is gone. Or dad is estranged. You know, that's the other side of all of this. That can make God as father for some in this room difficult or hard to accept. Because for some, their earthly father was so broken or so absent or taken away too young. And to think of God as Father is riddled with confusion and hurt. Like even with my kids, they, they know they always have access to me, but sometimes I can be so task-driven that they don't feel like they have access to me because if I get frustrated or aggravated. It's not them, I'm just trying to get this done, I'm focused, and all these great excuses we come up with. I've had to go to them many times when I've treated them like they're a bother and have conversations with them and you know, will you forgive me? I'm sorry, that's not the dad I want to be. I want, I want you to always feel like you have access. And you're welcome to my presence. And you need to know, you have a father who's better than me. A father who, who never treats you like a bother. A father who never gets aggravated when you show up. And, and, and he's helping me become a better father and to grow in these things. How much more? Gracious, kind, generous, accessible, and giving he is. And I, and I would say the same to anyone here today who struggles in seeing with God as Father, to know, to know your Father in Heaven sees and knows the hurt that you have because Dad is gone and you miss Him or because Dad was never there. Or, or Dad was there, but He wasn't a good Dad. Or He was a good Dad, but He messed up a bunch. How much more is your Father in Heaven there Never leaving you, always accessible, never ever is, is he less than unwelcoming to his kids. Come, ask, seek, knock, pester me. This is our Father in heaven who wants us to pursue him with wild abandon to come after him. Tim Keller put it like this Do you pray to get into his presence? Or do you pray to get a sense of his presence? 
Do you pray to get into his presence or do you pray to get a sense of his presence? We don't pray to get something we already have. As his child, we have him. We have access to our Father. So prayer is not to get more of what we don't have, to get more awareness of what we already have. And it's essential to have time in our life to just sit and rest and enjoy this great awareness of the presence of our Father in our lives. Yeah, yeah, we go and we work, and as we do things, we also need this awareness of God's presence. And so we should practice spontaneous prayer and pray without ceasing in our minds and heart. should be oriented to live in this atmosphere of prayer. But there must be times where we sit and we rest and we enjoy Jesus, where we turn everything off. Like I'm finding personally with, with the, the hecticness of life, the busyness of life, with the way we're, we're rewiring ourselves with these stupid devices. You know, we text somebody and it's 3.7 seconds. Why haven't they texted me back yet? And we're always accessible 24-7. People, we just feel this way about each other. You don't hear back from email or text message for half a day? Are they dead? Like, what's going on? And I'm finding it necessary in this crazy life, and I'm not there yet. It's more essential to unplug and sit and focus on him who he is and who I am in him. It's a constant battle to reorient our minds and hearts to this greater reality of life in Christ. In another song by Citizens and Saints, Relent, they put it like this. I just want to live in peace, but I'm struggling to believe that letting go will bring me peace. Can I sit here at your feet? Because this is right where I belong. Yeah, I can feel it in my soul. You say, I'm right where I belong. And I know that I belong. Yeah, I know that I belong. I know that I belong. Do you know that you belong in the presence at the feet of your Father in heaven? Because of Jesus, all the time. So I want to end a little differently than we usually end. I want to give space this morning for us to experience this a little bit. Right where we're sitting to take time with our Father, to reorient our minds and hearts on Him and just to enjoy Him for a few minutes, just to turn everything off, to create space. I'm going to guide us through some scriptures to help us practice this sitting and resting in this awareness and this enjoying of the presence of the Father, literally just by sitting still and being quiet. This is not some kind of weird Eastern mystical thing. Nobody's going to be chanting or humming. This is just being still and knowing that he is God. And so as we sit and focus on and on allowing every single muscle in our body to relax. To let out the tension of our, of our performance. That is a posture of prayer because as we are releasing tension in our body, I am trusting in the Lord. I don't have to run the universe. I don't have to be in control of everything. I don't have to know the future. I can rest. I can trust. I can enjoy just being his kid. And as I read these scriptures, just adopt that posture. Just sit and rest and trust in him. There's going to be quiet spaces. It might be awkward. Don't focus on that. Focus on him. Focus your mind and heart on who is present. Hear these great truths. And maybe as the Spirit speaks to you through these passages, pray, pray them back. Just in your heart, your mind. Pray them back to your Father. You can silently pray them out loud. Ask, seek, knock, Bother him, asking him because he is your dad and ask him for these great truths to become great realities as you become more aware of who he is. So let me just read through some passages. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need.
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. was right at about 10 minutes of sitting at the feet of Jesus, being quiet and resting before him, letting his words wash over you. I hope and pray reorienting your heart and mind and soul in some kind of way. And however the Spirit of God spoke to you during that time, share that with others. Be an encouragement to others. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe today is the day of your salvation and you realize that you've never entered into this relationship where God would be your father and you'd be reconciled back to him, to Christ. And so we definitely want to know that. Practice this as missional communities, just sitting at the feet of Jesus together and praying out loud. If we had time and space, we would do that now. Or maybe in your DNA groups or with your family. Just, just stopping the insanity of our lives and making sure we are centering our hearts and minds and souls on who we are as the children of our Father in heaven. So Father, I pray that that would become a greater and greater reality amongst everyone who's gathered here, who's a part of the crossing and beyond. You have created us in your image. We have rebelled, and you came after us to bring us back through Jesus. And now we get to enjoy you as never before. So let that flavor our marriages, our parenting, our work, our play, our eating, everything that we do so that the reality of Christ would be seen in us, would be spread in our city, among the leaders, among the schools, among the, the, the law enforcement, among the, the restaurants and shops, 
This aroma of Christ will spread as we go into the city and live out this calling. Make these things happen because you love this city more than we love this city. For the glory of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.